Greetings from the heart of a friend. This is Andy Wygand, and welcome to the third part of this series on the soft power of listening, episode 41. With a tip of my hat to Stephen Covey, I'm calling this episode The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Listeners. When I was in college many moons ago, one of my roommates was an incredible listener. People would come to our room just to talk with Bobby Fong. He had a rare gift. His exercise of that soft power of listening was one of the things that elevated him to become one of the first Asian American university presidents in the United States. So why was Bobby so good at listening? What makes a good listener? How can we all get better at this incredibly important skill? I hope that this time together now reminds us that we can all do better, that we're all destined for more than what we've become. So listening well means to pay careful attention to what's said in a way that encourages people to continue to talk, to share even more of their story. Listening well is caring enough to want to figure out what's going on in someone's heart and mind. Listening well is one of the greatest gifts we can give to one another. As one writer put it, quote, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. End quote. I think this was part of the secret of Bobby's influence. He cared enough to figure out what was going on in someone's mind and heart. People felt heard, understood, which is almost indistinguishable from being loved. Now to recap the last episode, curiosity is the secret sauce of listening well, and it's the generator of great conversations. So ask good questions, ask follow-up questions, pay attention to what's being said. You don't have to be a talker. Be like a detective. Follow your curiosity. You'll be amazed at the drawers people open and the bits and pieces of their lives they're willing to share. And listening well creates bonds of friendship and gives us influence where there was none before. This kind of curiosity activates all the qualities of a good listener, eye contact, body language, etc. Follow your curiosity and conversation, and most of the time, you'll do everything else right. Celeste Headley is a writer and radio personality, and she gave a great TED Talk a while back entitled, 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation. Here's what she had to say about listening skills. Quote, Many of you have already heard a lot of advice on this. Things like, look the person in the eye, think of interesting topics to discuss in advance, look, nod, smile, to show that you're paying attention. Repeat back what you just heard or summarize it. So, I want you to forget all that. It's crap. There's no reason to learn how to show you're paying attention if you are, in fact, paying attention. Well, she got quite a laugh. And essentially, I agree with her. Follow your curiosity. Pay attention. If you do, you're likely to make all the other right moves automatically. This was my point in the last episode. But here's the reality. Our curiosity may not always be working at peak strength. There are often circumstances that distract us from paying attention. We may be preoccupied, tired, irritable, or depleted after a long day. With all due respect to Celeste Headley, in these cases, 
it's important to be reminded of some of the other habits of highly effective listeners. We may, at times, need to be more intentional, more deliberate about our practice of listening. So I think it's helpful to have a mental to-do list. This is what you do to be a good listener. These are the rules. This is a checklist for listening well. For instance, when I was in the role of senior pastor in between services on Sundays, people would come up and talk to me. It was difficult sometimes to stay focused. My eyes would wander to other people passing by in the background. My mind would be thinking about who else I needed to catch before the next service started, and there were half a dozen other things to be done. I had to be more deliberate about paying attention to the person in front of me. Andy, keep your eyes on the person talking to you. Andy, stop making mental notes about what you need to do before the next service begins. Andy, pay attention. In this moment, the conversation with this person is the most important thing you have to do. Stay engaged. Things I would automatically do pretty well without thinking became more difficult. I had to be more deliberate, more intentional about remembering to do them. So I'd like to review the listening disciplines that we should practice. The seven habits of highly effective listeners or how to be more like my roommate and friend Bobby Fong. If we're following our curiosity and really paying attention, we'll do them automatically. But for those times we're not, here's a checklist for highly effective listening. First, keep the focus on the other person. As long as the other person is talking, encourage them to continue. Stay in the flow of what they are saying. Don't interrupt, change the subject, or share a competing story. That shifts the focus from them to you. To be a good listener, you want to keep the focus on them. In the last episode, I explained the difference between a support response and a shift response. On the one hand, if I tell you my wife and I adopted two boys from Russia and you come back with, oh, what a coincidence, my brother and his wife adopted from Russia as well. That's a shift response. It shifts the focus of the conversation from me to your brother and his wife. It's less likely then that I will feel invited to talk more about our own experience. Most likely, we've moved on to your brother and his wife, what you wanted to talk about. The focus shifted from what I wanted and needed to talk about to what you wanted to talk about. For a good listener, that's bad form. On the other hand, a support response to the same opening statement would have a very different feel and outcome. I say, my wife and I adopted two boys from Russia. You say, oh, that's interesting. Tell me all about it. The difference between a shift response and a support response is night and day. You see, a support response keeps the focus of the conversation on me. And if I want to, I have an open invitation to go a lot deeper into our experience. A support response keeps the focus on the speaker. It doesn't change the flow of the conversation. It makes us into good listeners. The reason I put this first on our checklist is because, in my opinion, it's the most important. And in the vast majority of conversations I witness, it's the thing we most often fail to do. A shift response minimizes the importance of what the other person has shared. 
and discourages them from going deeper into their story. When we fail at this, we doom our conversations to skimming the surface, to superficialities. We are destining ourselves to emotionally impoverished relationships. A shift response is toxic to highly effective listening. Here are some simple ways to keep the focus of the conversation on the other person to offer a support response. Some call this active listening. I've already talked about asking questions in the last episode, but this is the most obvious way to indicate interest and to invite the speaker to continue to unfold their story, to keep the focus on them. Good questions invite the speaker to clarify or go deeper into their experience. They also show interest on your part. As Mark Miller in his book, Smart Leadership says, and I've quoted him before, questions are like a pickaxe to a frontier miner. They unearth buried treasure, he goes on. Quote, a good question responded to thoughtfully almost always opens the door to another question. While listening to a response, we're actually listening at several levels, content, emotional charge, tone, word choice, and more. One of the most helpful things we should be listening for is an open door to ask another question. The insight you are seeking is often not behind that first, second, or third door, but many layers deep into the conversation. The key to each door is another question, end quote. Good questions help the conversation go deeper, and they keep the focus of the conversation on the other person. Active listening can also involve what's called paraphrasing or reflecting what the other person has said. Sometimes it's helpful to repeat what was said in your own words to make sure you understand. This also lets the other person know you listened and understand and that you care. This will often take the conversation to a deeper level. So both these practices, asking questions and paraphrasing, keep the focus on the other person. Interrupting, changing the subject, offering advice, or sharing a competing story, don't. They are shift responses. They never let the other person unfold their story completely. By contrast, highly effective listeners invite conversation at a deeper level because they keep the focus of the conversation on the other person. Well, second on the checklist is stay mentally engaged. Learn to fight distractions. They say people talk at an average speed of 150 words per minute, give or take. But we can listen to approximately 500 words per minute. So there's a big gap between how fast we can talk and how fast we can think. All that spare time and all the extra mental bandwidth makes it very tempting to let our minds wander somewhere out in the pasture of our imagination while someone else is talking. What can be done about it? How can we fight distraction? I'll be back in just a few moments with some thoughts about how to stay mentally engaged in conversation. So, the second habit of highly effective listeners is to stay mentally engaged. 
Because we can think a lot faster than someone else can talk, we have a lot of extra mental bandwidth, horsepower, whatever you want to call it, when we're listening to someone. So what to do with that? Here's a challenge from Celeste Headley, who gave the TED Talk about 10 ways to have a better conversation. Quote, don't multitask. And I don't mean just set down your cell phone or your tablet or your car keys or whatever's in your hand. I mean, be present. Be in that moment. Don't think about your argument you had with your boss. Don't think about what you're going to have for dinner. If you want to get out of the conversation, get out of the conversation, but don't be half in and half out. Look, I know it takes effort and energy to actually pay attention to someone, but if you can't do that, you're not in a conversation. You're just two people shouting out barely related sentences in the same place, end quote. She's great at getting the point. Good listeners practice being present in the conversation. They stay mentally engaged. But because we have the extra mental space to think while someone else is talking, we will inevitably fill it with something. As they say, nature abhors a vacuum. Some might say the human brain is an exception, but I think it goes for the brain as well. It's just that what fills our brain can be extraordinarily random and undisciplined. I find myself at times out wandering somewhere in the tall grass. We all suffer to a degree with ADD. We're extremely vulnerable to distractions. So unless we intentionally focus on something, we will think about the argument we had with our boss. We will think about the grocery list and what's for dinner, or we will think about Sunday's football game or the bird that just flew by outside. We will find it very hard to stay mentally engaged. So here's an alternative. Designate that mental margin, the excess bandwidth in your brain to something specific while you're in the conversation. In other words, have a plan for where you're going to allow your brain to wander. These are three ways that I typically try to spend mental free time in conversations. One, what's the nonverbal message? We're told by the people who study this stuff that 70 to 90% of all communication is nonverbal. That's astonishing. And it should give us plenty to think about while we're listening to the other person's words. What are they saying with their facial expression, the tone of their voice, with their body language. Back to the detective analogy, we're trying to figure out why this person is telling us this and what's going on in their mind and heart. A second way to spend your mental free time in conversations is to ask this, what's the next question? Remember, I've talked about the importance of following your curiosity. Learn to ask follow-up questions. Questions are the pickaxes of great listeners. They reveal seams of gold and silver just under the surface. So often, while I'm listening, I'm looking for statements that pique my curiosity, statements that beg for clarification or elaboration. I was on a Zoom call recently with the leader of a nonprofit that I'm involved with. He was giving me an update. I generally take notes on calls like this. At one point, he talked about the surplus revenue they've had and the fact that they've already designated what they're going to do with it. He went on, but I put a star next to that statement. I wanted to be sure to come back to it. It piqued my curiosity. I wanted to know how those funds had been designated. 
It introduced a whole new series of topics for our conversation, which was very enlightening for me. In our everyday conversations, there are always statements that beg for clarification or elaboration. We should put a mental star next to them. They are good candidates for follow-up questions. So what's the next question is often at the forefront of my mental free time when I'm in a conversation. And lastly, what am I supposed to learn from this person or about this person? For me, this is a God question. I listen to the person with one ear and often with the other ear, I try to listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to me. Many times as a result, I gain insight into something about myself, insight into the world we live in, or insight into the other person. By designating the remaining bandwidth in my brain in this way, it's much easier to stay engaged in the conversation. It's what highly effective listeners do. Well, the third habit of highly effective listeners is be cautious about giving advice. The tendency of many of us is to problem solve. If there's a problem, let's fix it. We feel good about jumping in with solutions, especially if we found answers in similar situations for ourselves. But for most people, in most situations, a more fundamental need is simply to be understood. There is a clever video on YouTube that makes this point. It's called, It's Not About the Nail. Only a couple of minutes long. I'll include the link in the notes at the end of the episode. But the wife is talking with her husband. And at first you can't see her forehead, but then the camera pulls around and you can see a nail that appears to have been driven into the middle of her forehead. So predictably, she's complaining about the pressure she's feeling in her head. She says, it's relentless. I don't know if it'll ever go away. I'm not sleeping. All my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. And, and on she goes. Her poor husband, with a look at the nail and with genuine concern, begins to say, I'll bet if we just... Immediately she snaps back. Stop trying to fix it. You always try to fix it. <laughs> she doesn't want to talk about the nail. She just wants to be understood. Well... Crazy, but a great use of humor to get across what's a, what's a fundamental practice of effective listeners. Don't try to fix it. Even if it's as obvious as a nail in the middle of the forehead, just listen. The first need in other people's lives is to be understood. The minute we jump in with what we think are solutions, it changes the focus of the conversation. Advice giving is a shift response. The focus changes from what the other person is feeling and needs to say to what you think. This shuts down their ability to process their own emotions. In my own experience, most people already know what they need to do. But what they need first is to process what they're feeling, what they're going through. So good listeners are very cautious about giving advice. An alternative to giving preemptive advice is to ask another set of questions. Once the situation has been fully explained, and once the emotion has been expressed, and once the individual seems to be at the end of what they needed to say, and 
once you have demonstrated that you understand what they're thinking and feeling, it may, it may be time for a question like, what are your alternatives at this point? Or, what do you think you're going to do? Or, is there a way I can be helpful to you? Most people have thought this through. They probably have some idea of what they need to do already. If they want your advice, you've given them an invitation to ask for it. This line of questioning moves toward problem solving, and that may be the direction the speaker wants the conversation to go. But it should still be a choice they make, not one that we impose on them. Effective listeners are very cautious about giving advice. Well, I've covered just three of the habits of highly effective listeners. I think I'll save the next four for the next episode. There's already plenty to think about and work on here for all of us. Keep the focus on the other person, stay mentally engaged, and be cautious about giving advice. Do even one or two of these, and you're well on your way to being a top-tier listener. I think of the challenge of listening as channeling my college roommate. How can I be more like Bobby, a world-class listener? Well, the personal stakes are high. If we want deeper relationships with others, if we want to break down the walls of loneliness and isolation, if we want to break out of the box of small talk and superficialities, then learning to listen well is not an option. It's a prerequisite. It's part of the basic package. It's, it's the engine and the wheels of the car, not the luxury lighting package. Failure to listen well will stunt every relationship we have. But learning to listen well lays the groundwork for every relationship we have to thrive. As the poem goes, I've shared before, quote, I will present to you parts of myself slowly. If you are patient and tender, I will open drawers that mostly stay closed and bring out places and people and things, loves and frustrations, hopes and sadnesses, bits and pieces of decades of life. They are me. If you regard them lightly, deny they are important, judge me, or fail to listen well, I will quietly, slowly, begin to wrap them up like worn jewelry, tuck them away in my small chest of drawers, and close. End quote. Failure to listen well will close the drawers, will make us and others hide away the most important thoughts and feelings we have will perpetuate the loneliness all around us. But listening well will open the drawers, will create opportunities to share the most important thoughts and feelings we have, will give birth to deeper and more satisfying relationships. And isn't this exactly what most of us want? Please join me next time as we go on to talk about four more habits of highly effective listeners. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and I invite you to leave a short review if you've benefited from this podcast. It encourages others to give it a try. Thanks again for listening, and I sincerely hope this time together has reminded you that we are destined for more than what we've become. 
This is From the Heart of a Friend.